to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel on this May the 14th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is my custom, I am doing the radio show from my front room. You may hear a little bit of noise in the background, although I've asked them to be as quiet as possible. We're getting a new furnace, a new air conditioner, a humidifier, and so we're kind of looking forward to getting that done all today. They've got a whole bunch of workers here, and they've been working since 7 o'clock this morning. So we're going to go ahead and still do our program. They said they would be quiet for about a half an hour. And uh, one of the first emails, which I just recently received uh, from Ruth, she writes, This morning I was reading Psalm 119, verses 145 to 152. What is the difference in the meaning in the words, your statutes, your law, and your commandments? So I thought I would begin by reading Psalm 119, verses 145 to 152. It's pretty short, and you'll see what she's talking about. With my whole heart, I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Okay, so sure enough, there is the word statutes, there is the word law, there is the word commandments, and I also would put in testimonies. Those are also found there. So looking up the original language, and of course, this is in the Hebrew, we find out what these words mean. Statutes refer to ordinances from God. They're specific decrees that God has given. So, for example, they may include when he created the world that the earth revolves 24 hours a day and it goes around the sun 365 days a year or statutes to Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The, the word in the Hebrew is kohoke, and it means specific decrees. Then the word law is heard. This is the most familiar Hebrew word for a lot of people. They've heard of it, Torah, T-O-R-A-H. It's kind of equivalent to the New Testament word nomos, N-O-M-O-S. And 
this is where we get the distinction between law and gospel. Now, Torah, in this case, is legal directives from God. Although there is a narrow sense of law and a wider sense. Uh, For example, the books of Moses are referred to as the law of God, and yet there's quite a bit of gospel in them. And so there you don't have that distinction in the wider sense that the law of God, that's his will, includes also the promises of Jesus Christ. But normally, when you're making the distinction between law and gospel, Torah, and in the Greek, euangelion, that's really referring to the legal directions found in the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial laws, etc., that the people were to obey. Uh, By the way, when you order anything from me, you get a bill from Torellian Productions. And some people call it Torlion, (laughs) T-O-R-E-L-I-O-N, but it's Torellian. And how did I come about with that name? Well, I wanted it to be L and G, Law and Gospel, but unfortunately there was a furniture store in Missouri called L and G. So I said, how can I get Law and Gospel in the name? And as I just indicated, the law is Torah, the gospel in the Greek is euangelion, So I just took the first part of Torah and the last part of Euangelion, and I got Torellion. That's why it's called Torellion, just in case you're wondering. So that's the second word. The first was statutes. The second was law. And then you have the word commandments. In the Hebrew, that's a different word. It's mitzvah. And in this particular case, that word refers to codes of wisdom. So if you read uh, particularly Proverbs, you get a lot of wisdom there as to how believers act in contrast to unbelievers. And they do so according to the commandments of God. There are Bible verses, for example, this Sunday. Uh, There's a text that talks about We know we love God because we keep his commandments. Well, the fact of the matter is, none of us keep his commandments perfectly. But if you understand uh, commandments as following the wisdom of God, then believers do follow the commandments because when we sin, we repent of that sin. We ask for forgiveness, and Jesus gives us that forgiveness. So those are the differences. Different Hebrew words, statutes, law, and commandments. But as I indicated, there's another word that I like, and that's testimonies. Uh, For example, verse 146. I call to you, God, save me, that I may observe your testimony. Now, That's always in the plural in the Bible. You don't have just one testimony anywhere. 
And so being in the plural, it's referring to God's divine laws, his will. Part of the testimony of the Old Testament is that a Savior is going to be sent. That that begins in Genesis 3.15 with a promise that the seed of Eve will produce a Savior who will crush the head of Satan, even though his heel will be wounded. And that continues throughout the Old Testament. Abraham is given a promise through Isaac that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that occurs with King David. Remember, Jesus talks about his relationship to King David, and he's often referred to as of the house of David. So this is another word, testimonies. And one would think that statutes, testimonies, law, and commandments, you you would think they're all the same Hebrew word, but no, there are four different Hebrew words, and each has a little bit of a nuance that the other one does not. This is why you need a pastor who is trained in theology and can know how to work with the original languages. And I I do know how to work with the Hebrew, the Greek. I'm not that good with the Aramaic. Never took a course because there is some Aramaic throughout the Bible. But those few places where it is, it's pretty easy to interpret. Be that as it may, good question by Ruth. She's reading the Bible. What do these words mean? And this is why it's so difficult to do translation, because in the Hebrew and the Greek, there are nuances that are not found in specific English words. So sometimes you have to add two or three words to get the idea of what the original is referring to. I I once did a study on John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, etc., etc. And my paraphrase or translation was three times as long because I wanted to make very clear what each word meant, like the word God. Well, what God? No, it was God the Father, the God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and so loved. Well, the word love can have a lot of meanings. It can be erotic love, or it can be sacrificial love. So that has to be in there. Remember, I've been making a point for months now that when you read the Bible, it's easy to interpret the words. Yeah, this is what they mean. But to apply them becomes very difficult. And that's why these words, statutes, testimonies, law, and commandments, have different applications depending on what we're talking about. So that's the email that came in just recently. But I have been talking to you uh, about a book that I put together. It's called Selected Emails to Law and Gospel. Uh, This is the number one because this only has 400 emails. I've received a lot more over the 24 years I've been on Law and Gospel. And this book is available for you. 
It's a cost of $15, but that includes postage and handling, etc. And you'll get a book mailed to you. And in the package will be a bill for $15. Uh, you make out the bill as indicated. And there'll be an envelope in there. You send it back and that's it. So I thought we would do a couple of, well, shall we say, emails. Now, these emails have many questions. I answered all of them either on an open mic Friday or I phoned the person because I needed a conversation with them. Uh, a lot of times I may answer with an email and I'll get it back and they'll say, well, that was a great answer, but that's not what I was asking. <laughs> so I've discovered uh, a phone call and some of these last over an hour, but it really helps the individual at least knowing what they're really asking about is helpful to me. So here's one, for example, uh, it's email 229. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you for clearing up the idolatry issue with crucifixes. And thank you for always being willing to help me with my questions. If you don't mind, I have another question for you. Since I'm living under the gospel, by the grace of Jesus now, how I interpret scripture has changed drastically because now I see scripture only through the lens of Christ's work. Now, before I go on, I need to explain a little bit. Uh, that was a radio program in which I made the big distinction between living under the law and living under the gospel. Living under the law means that you believe that you're saved by your works. And so you're living under the curse of the law. And that's why a lot of people doubt Christianity, because they don't want to be cursed. And so this is a shame that that happens, but it happens. Now, living under the gospel, you are free from the curse because by grace, which means you don't deserve it, God forgives your sin. So the letter writer continues. For example, when the apostle John wrote that blood and water flowed from Jesus' side, I used to see this as forensic evidence that Christ was truly dead. Now, before I go on, that is correct. That's what happened, that there's a separation of the blood and the water. But he continues, now under the gospel, I am convinced that this scripture clearly points to the Christocentricity of baptism and communion. In baptism, we now put on Christ in communion, we receive the promise of the gospel. Have I fallen off my theological rocker? And then his name. Well, no, I told him he hadn't fallen off his theological rocker. In fact, one of the Bible lessons uh, for these weeks in Easter is that the evidence that Jesus is the Savior 
is both the water and the blood. Now remember, John the baptizer, he baptized with water alone, but then said, there's one coming after me who will baptize you also with the Holy Spirit. And the blood refers to his death on the cross. So this email writer does a good job in indicating the true understanding of why blood and water are referred to as our means of salvation, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we get some personal emails, subject, and that's what at the top of this email, pastor is being attacked. My pastor is being attacked by our head elder. Our pastor preaches the word of God faithfully and administers the sacraments rightly, but he is accused of having weak people skills. Some of the older members think he does not visit them enough. The head elder conducted a secret survey of select disgruntled members four months ago. He was reprimanded and he said he would not do it again. Two weeks ago, he organized a secret meeting of disgruntled members that are dissatisfied with our pastor. He then went to the pastor with two other elders. Seven other elders were left out of the loop and threatened the pastor with removal. What do we do? And then the signature is one of the the out-of-the-loop elders. Well, I responded to this. Here you have a pastor being accused of not visiting shut-ins as much as he should, but you have an elder and a couple of others, it appears, that are threatening to remove him. Being a member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we really have an advantage. Because first of all, every pastor is on the roster, have about 6,000 pastors, and they've gone and been trained in theology, and then they have been voted on by the various faculty members to be ready to become pastors. Now, if you have a problem with a pastor, my advice is you first of all go and speak to him. Here, Here's the problem. And I remember one pastor telling me that you can, as a pastor, pretty well get away with anything as long as you do three things. Conduct the worship services, conduct youth confirmation, and visit the shut-ins. The rest of the time you can go fishing, do whatever you want, and the congregation isn't going to be bothered. But in this case, it appears that there are congregational members who are bothered that the pastor does not come to them enough. Well, I would take with the elders and sit down with him and find out how often he's going. I would usually make it a point of seeing a shut-in at least once a month. But if they were ill or some other thing near death, we would see them more often, perhaps once a week. 
Now, let's say if the elder has not seen the shunnings enough, I would say he's probably only seeing them four times a year or something like that. Then it is appropriate that the elders would give him instructions to visit the shunnings more often. And that should take care of that problem, as the pastor does make more regular visits. But perhaps this head elder, for some reason, doesn't like the pastor. And he's making up these charges. And the pastor is innocent because he's seen the elders. Well, being a member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have 35 districts. And these are, for example, in Illinois, there's three districts, Southern Illinois, Central Illinois, and Northern Illinois. And each has a district president who then assigns what we call circuit visitors. I've been a circuit visitor a number of times, and I'm in a congregation, but then I'm asked to kind of watch over seven to 12 other congregations if they're part of your circuit. And I would visit them, listen to their sermons, give them advice about their library or about their study habits, etc. Now that's referred to as a circuit visitor, as we call them. And therefore, I would encourage, as I did, that the out-of-the-loop elder call his circuit visitor to come in to see if there really is a problem with the pastor or if the problem is with the head elder. And there is a process that can be followed. You can't remove a pastor unless three issues are involved. He's a false teacher or he's fooling around in a lifestyle that is inappropriate or he's not doing his work. Now, not visiting shut-ins could fall under that, but it could be that the head elder is angry with him. Maybe he liked the previous pastor better or something, and he can't get this new pastor to follow him in all that he wants to do. So he's saying, no, we need to remove him. That's where the circuit counselor can become involved and help the congregation to come to a united decision where the people who feel they're not being visited are now satisfied with what the pastor is doing, and the head elder is also not continuing to bring charges against the head pastor. It's unfortunate if you are a member of a denomination where you don't have those checks and balances, as does the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's not at all unusual for me to hear of a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, being removed because perhaps he committed adultery or perhaps he's simply not following the guidelines for close communion or other items. And if he does not repent of it and change his understanding, he can be removed. That is why in the call process, and I'm involved in one right now, where I'm helping a congregation make a call, 
they first can choose to call any pastor on the roster. But the district president also sends them names of pastors whom he feels would be suitable for their congregation. In fact, if they have a lot of youth, you might want a pastor trained in youth ministry. But if you don't have youth or even a Sunday school, then you'd be looking for maybe a pastor who deals better with delinquents, etc. All of us don't have the same gifts. So if you would like to receive selected emails, 400 of them that I've gathered during the past 24 years, write me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Or you can also contact me uh, through KFUO, Law and Gospel, and they'll give me the letter. We'll send you the book. Don't send me any money till you get the bill and then send the $15 back. By the way, if you want more than one book, it's reduced costs. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Join us on Monday as we look at Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.